Welcome to the Beyond the Box Door podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Coach Randy Peel. He's the only coach in Big South history to take two different teams to the tournament. He took UNC Greensboro and then took Winthrop twice. What separated Winthrop from the rest of the Big South during those last three years under Coach Marshall? Man. And it pains me to say that as a high point guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. High point, you guys, man, we had battles. Um, you know, that's a good question. Uh, listen, we, it was, it was talent. I mean, and what I mean by that, like Terrell Martin was special. Like, like you, you, you're talking about a six. I mean, I have to sit here and think, but so we had, it, it was talent. It, it all came together at the right time. So Terrell Martin is from Columbia. He's hurt his senior year. A lot of people don't really know. He was getting recruited by, you know, Chattanooga, but Terrell Martin was player of the year. Good. Like, I'm telling you, we go play Gonzaga in the in-state tournament, and he's going head-to-head with Adam Morrison like I've never seen a freshman do. He was, he, was, he was special for the Big South. He could score against anybody. I mean, it didn't matter. Um, you know, we had a – Mike Jenkins came into his own. Mike, Mike was a two-time all-league two-guard. Um, you had Craig Bradshaw, who was more effective outside the league, but Craig Bradshaw is a legit 6'9 big that's a high major talent. You know, he really is. And then you had the ultimate point guard in Chris Gaynor. Um, but we, we, we had a swagger about ourselves. You know, I was with Greg for four years, David, and in all honesty, just never thought we were going to lose. That was the mindset. Like, those kids were so confident. Uh, we won close games. Um, but we were connected. But there was a swagger, like, uh, losing is not an option. I mean, when we're going to play Gonzaga in the tournament, the day before, uh, the the day was it? Yeah, the day before we're in practice, and I'm like, the thirty. I've never seen anything like that intensity. It's it's incredible. So, um, but yeah, he had his most talented team at the end and we were really talented we in the NCAA tournament we lost to Gonzaga and then the next year we lost to Tennessee on a shot at the buzzer and then the third year we beat Notre Dame in my last three years there as an assistant you mentioned that you're promoted to the head coach uh, when he takes over Wichita State was there a coach in waiting situation or were you considering going to the Shockers and talk about that whole process? Well, it really happened so fast. I mean, certainly, um, I'm going to tell you, this is one for the ages. <laughs> um, 
so coach was actually on the interview and uh, hopefully this doesn't get out too much. We had two kids on campus. How about that? Two. We had Andy Boucher from Tallahassee Junior College, or yeah, Tallahassee Community College, and EJK from Hillsborough Community, both legitimate mid-major bigs. And coach was flying back, you know, and I didn't think anything of it, but long story short, uh, on the way back, you know, the president, uh, Dr. DiGiorgio, saw me. I had two recruits, and we always introduced them to our the, Dr. DiGiorgio. And, um, uh, you know, Dr. DiGiorgio called me in, and I said, Doc, I said, look, I said, I'm going to stick around. I'll stick around for a week, but if I'm not your guy in a week, I'm done. I'm gone. I said, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'll have an opportunity to go with coach to, to Wichita, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit around here waiting. I walked out and then he called me back in like literally 30 seconds later. And this is in the press box in the baseball stadium now. Right. So he calls me back in. He goes, you want the job? I said, yeah. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and now what I didn't know is that the two recruits told him they weren't coming unless I got the job. And which, trust me, I did not ask them to do that. Uh, you know, um, and, I, and I had a relationship with them, you know what I mean? But that's how it went down. Now, I wish I'd have done some things way different and taken I wish I'd have done some things just very different in that scenario. But what it was, was before coach was back, I had already been named the head coach. And that's what, so there was a little bit of a competition there a little bit, but uh, yeah, that was very odd to say the least. Your first season as head coach, you guys beat Georgia Tech. You beat a ranked Miami team. You win the Big South regular season and tournament championship. Yep. Did you feel validated as a head coach at that point? Or, you know, so many coaches, yeah, it's kind of coach talk validation. Talk about that season. And what I, think I, felt, I think I felt validated year three, but uh, – Anybody that worked, you know, that we were together on the staff, um, the amount of pressure that we were under uh, was off the charts. I mean, it, it, it was it was off the chart, you know. So I don't. I felt more validated. I would say the second championship my third year um i should have man that that first it was more of a relief it was more of a relief because the amount of pressure you know the amount of the amount of pressure when you coach at winthrop is to me uh the only thing that's acceptable is getting to the ncaa tournament that was it like every moment of my day was about getting to the NCAA tournament, period. And uh, that year, we were co-regular season champions. Um, 
So we ended up playing the championship game at you and we lost the last regular season game at UNC at, at home versus UNC Asheville. People were not happy about that. And then we went and played Asheville for the championship game with Kenny George. Mm-hmm. And we, we won that game. I think it was by, I mean, it was close to 20, but it was a heck of a game. Now you're the only coach in Big South history to take two different programs to the, the tournament. You know, you faced Washington State in that NCAA tournament. Do you What do you remember about facing off against Tony Bennett's team and how good was Aaron Baines? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, TB, like, not that we – there was a period we were in touch a fair amount. I remember we were very similar. Like, the one thing I remember about Washington State is – Washington State, and you can say this about Tony's teams now, like they don't beat themselves. You know, one of my coaching cliches is more often games are won and lost because one team chooses to beat themselves. Well, we were like them. We didn't beat ourselves either. Like if you beat us, you were going to have to beat us. We weren't going to turn the ball over or make, you know, dumb plays to get beat. So I just remember the score was tied at halftime and I changed our matchup on Baines. I should have never done that. Man, Torres Robinson was on him the first half. who's two-time defensive mm-hmm. player yeah. of the year. And I shouldn't have done it. Um, now, and I'm telling you, the score was tied. And in the second half, like, like if you know, if you know Tony Bennett, Tony Bennett's teams, what I had, what has what I call defensive runs. Well, that was the first time that that's what we were used to doing to people. We would, we would hold you scoreless for maybe seven or eight minutes. Well, that's what they did to us. But what's crazy, David, the game was in Denver and I used to hear all the talk about it and it's true, but like, you know how people say when you get out into the altitude, you can't breathe. So I look out in the second half, I'm looking at Taj McCullough. I'm like, Taj can't breathe. Like, I, what, like I've, I've heard all that, but honestly, there was some truth to it, but um, that's not why we got beat. Um, they were, they were there. What I can tell you is Tony Bennett's teams are simple. Uh, what they, they do, they do it at an elite level. Um you know, you don't want to play them if you don't have to, because they're the kind of team when you played them in a guarantee game, they beat you 60 to 38. Okay. Like some teams, you know, you'll go out there and you'll score 55, 60. Well, you, you played Virginia and hell you, you, you know, in some cases you're going to struggle to get 50 points. It was like that with this Washington state team. The 2009-2010 season, yep. you guys beat Coastal on their home floor in the Big South yeah. Championship. That was cool. What was that like? Great. Great. I mean, that's one of my – that was great. We finished third in the regular season. Um, man, we fought hard. Trying to think, we beat Radford in the semifinal round. They had beaten us twice. They had the big kid who's six nine. Yep. So we finally found the right game plan for him. We closed out, tried to take away three, and immediately 
got halfway between him and the ball. So we were in and out. You know what I mean? We Hard were to do it with Parakowski. Yeah, we we were in and out. We 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 tried to play right in the middle. If you rose up like you're gonna shoot it, we would close out with a hand. Joey Lynch floor. Joey Lynch floor was the big. Yeah, well, man, they were tough. And honestly, we did a great job on them. We did, and you're right about Joe. I loved him. Oh my God. They got tired of me talking about him. Um, but yeah, we you know what? We didn't let the bigs get going and they didn't make enough threes. So then we go play Cliff. And Cliff and I are friends. And I knew, you know, Cliff, <laughs> I knew Cliff was, Cliff's a funny guy, you know. He had been out there and he's like, hey, you know, to their students, man, they, when we go out, when we went out to the floor, David, they are wearing me out. Their students, I mean, they, they had probably had a few drinks or two. They were wearing our team out. I mean, you know, my, as my mentor used to say, nobody boos a loser. Well, trust me, they were booing us. They were talking trash to us. Cliff said, hey, don't worry about it. We're going to party tonight. And I was, I'm not, <laughs> you know, Coastal and Winthrop is always a big rival. And, uh, man, I've never been so proud of a team. We, listen, we fought from behind. And the key point to the game, the key, the key point to the game was we're coming down the stretch in the second half. There are several factors that happen. Number one, I'll never forget it. You know, I always learn, always, always, always have three-point guards. Always. Might only affect you one or two games a year. Well, like I tried to get walk-ons in that position that were Division II caliber players. So sure enough, Reggie Middleton gets in foul trouble. Justin Burton gets hurt. Reggie King comes in at the point, does a great job. Last 10 minutes of the game, we went 2-2-1 two, two, back to zone. And it really bothered them. They, they didn't, they, we kind of got them out of sync in all honesty. Uh, we changed the game up and uh, I've never been so, listen, my first year at Greensboro, we won the Big South Conference Championship by 19 at Liberty. My second championship, we won it. My first year at Winthrop, we beat UNC Asheville at Asheville. And then my third championship, we beat Coastal Carolina at Coastal. All three times on the number one seats. Well, no, it wasn't, Liberty wasn't like that because that was different. But Asheville and uh, Coastal, we won on, the team we beat, we won on their home court, basically. I'm really proud of that because I'm telling you, man, like, you got to be good and you got to be able to stop people to win those kind of games. And I just hope and pray when the teams I've coached, you know, we just try to be disciplined. We try to defend at a high level. You know, we try to take care of the ball and, um, you know, I'm second in the history of that league with NCAA tournament appearances and, we went to the NSA tournament this year at Texas Southern. Um, it's just an incredible feeling. And I don't care. Like every season we toss it up, I'm, I, that's it. That's the only goal that's acceptable is playing in the dance. Coach, you're probably the best person to ask this question to. What about the landscape of the Big South Conference? And I, I know it's changed, but how has it changed from – 
your time at Campbell to then your time at Winthrop. Wow. It's going through a lot of evolution. Um, so when I was at, when I was at Campbell, there were some players in the league. I don't know that we had a lot of notoriety. Facilities were just okay, right? Um, but you got to also remember when I was at Campbell, Augusta, I think, was in the Big South, if I remember correctly, Clint Bryant. But listen, the league was great. It, like we had a guy at Campbell by the name of Henry Wilson. He could play against anybody. Um, you know, we had Brad Childress. Coastal had a guy, like Coastal lost to Indiana, I believe, in Louisville in a really close game. People talk about the best teams to ever play in the Big South. Trust me when I tell you, Coastal's team with, with Tony Duncan – back in, I think it back would have been uh, back in the eighties. That's one of the best teams ever play in the big South. They had, uh, I think Joe Penny, they had Tony Duncan, who was from Conway or Myrtle beach, who was six, seven. He, he was not only was he player of the year, he was rookie of the year. That's how good they were. So the league was really good. Um, you know, I think it was in the early formative years, uh, the, the league was. Um, I think the league has changed. When, when I was at Greensboro, I think the league overall, top to bottom, was better, right? Um, I really believe that. You know, Liberty had uh, uh, Peter Aluma, if I remember correctly, Remember, they had Jeff Meyer was there. They, they were getting a lot of guys from Lagos. But top to bottom, I thought the league was better. Uh, Gary Edwards was at Charleston Southern. Tommy Conrad's team won it uh, in 97. So I think it was better. Um, I think when I was at Winthrop, top to bottom, there were no – when you, you look at Coastal, you know, you look at – uh, what Duger did at VMI, you know, you look at Richie McKay, I just, I think, I don't think, you know, well, I, I think there's about three or four teams that are really good, but I think at that stretch, when I was at Winthrop, top to bottom, when all those teams were in there, I think that's the most balanced in the league for sure. And if whoever won our league, was good enough to win in the first round. UNC Asher, remember, played Syracuse yeah. with uh, Dickey. Uh, man, like, and truth be told, we, we know the deal in that game. You know, the only thing I think now is, you know, I think it's just a loss when you don't, you know, I think losing Liberty a little bit, you know, you losing VMI. I, I mean, I think um, – you know, I think with where the league is now, it's not quite where it was top to bottom. Um, you know, I think High Point, like when we were at Winthrop, you know, um, man, High Point was tough. Like they had our respect. Now, 
you know, they, they really had our respect. I know Josh was there and, um, man, that, I think the toughest place to play was at high point in that box. I, if I was at high, I'd turn the heat up so high and I'd have those kids in there and I'd pack it and I'd press baseline to baseline. I'd try to make it as hot of a box as I could, you know, but man, what a great place to play it was there. That was really good. Coach, what's your best Coach Paul story? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how much time we got. Uh, Paul's a, di a different, different guy, man. Like, uh, oh my gosh. I think the best one was like, first of all, you, you've never seen an office look like this. Like Paul's desk, like I'm telling you, it was chaos. He, he's like the best I've ever been around at getting stuff done in the office. Pell Grant, professors, you know, travel, and you look at his desk and you don't see any organization whatsoever, right? It's paper strewn everywhere. But I'm gonna tell you, you're 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 gonna laugh at this. So I get the job. No, I can't remember. I'm on the road recruiting in Orlando. Now, there's a couple unwritten rules. Okay, how many guys do you know that are Italian that don't that that don't love food? Okay, <laughs> Molinari's Italian. All right. So one of the things I figured out was when you know how you go out with somebody and you go, well, where should we eat? You ask Paul. Okay. Don't ask anybody else on staff. Paul was like an unbelievable cook. He's Italian, you know. I mean, he he could, you know, he could make up any sophisticated dish. And I eat to live. I don't live to eat. So Paul flies in. I pick him up. We go to the game. And so we're driving to Orlando and Paul goes, and you're going to appreciate this. He's a New York guy. Paul goes, coach, where you been eating at? I said, uh, yeah, man. I said, I said, I did waffle house last night. And Paul goes waffle house. <laughs> and I started laughing. I started laughing. Right. With an, with a, with an Italian, like a meal is an event. Mm -hmm. right like it, it's it's a big deal so we ended up going to i can't remember what it was but he was so disappointed when i told him like i'm the kind of guy you take me to waffle house and let me get scrambled eggs with cheese and hash browns and bacon i'm good paul, paul, paul didn't have any of that he didn't want none of that he's like no he's like we're not doing that and i and i'm like okay all right paul where do you want to go but yeah, he was hilarious. That story is so funny. It's unbelievable. Coach, you know, we talked about it last week, how so few coaches get to go out on their own terms. When did you realize that Winthrop was going to go in a different direction? You know, um, there had been talk. I mean, I had heard the, I had heard the, the you know, the, the scuttlebutt. I think my, I know my children knew uh, or thought it, but um, you know, what I did was, was after the conference turn, I, if we'd gotten to the championship game, I'd have kept my job. We, 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 we beat Campbell. 
we lost to VMI. They were they 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 were really good. They had actually beaten Coastal the day before. Um, had we won that game, I think I would have kept my job. But um, I really found out that Monday because we lost on Friday. I called into my secretary, and I purposely did a TO to go travel. I went to see a young man that we signed early uh, play on Saturday night. And I knew, I knew that if they were going to allow me to continue to recruit that I was going to stay. So I purposely did that. And then I came in on Monday and Tom came down and said, Dr. Giorgio had decided to make a change. And, um, you know, that, that was really, really uh, devastating. It's still, you know, it's still, um, you know, it, it's something that stays with you because I was there for nine years. Um, you know, I think, David, the one thing, there were some things that happened, you know, that I don't, I, I can't get into all that, but there were some things that happened that hurt me that I feel, I don't know that, some things weren't fully vetted, so to speak. Um, but that was really tough because one of my pet peeves is being a champion. And when I talk with athletic directors, uh, you know, I hear search firms. I just feel like like I'll give you an example. At the end of year four at Winthrop, there was there was a lot of talk about me. I went in to see Tom Hickman, our AD, and nobody knows this. And I went in. At that time, I'm the only guy in the Big South that had been to the NCAA tournament. And not only had I been once, I had been twice. So my four years at that time, I had been to two NSA tournaments. And I said to Tom, I said, if I'm under pressure, no one's safe. Like, how can I be under the gun? I said, look at the lead. Let's go down the list. I said, what do you, I said, what should I tell recruits? You know, and, you know, and he was like, well, you know, just tell them you're going to be okay. We're, we're looking at an extension, yada, yada, yada. You know, we had some stuff that happened, um, but, you know, where I go with that is it's, it's really hard to be a champion, you know, and what I'm proud of is that we were champions at UNC Greensboro. We were two-time champion at Winthrop, you know, at Tennessee State, our last three years there, we had the third best record in the Ohio Valley our last three years behind Murray and Belmont. Uh, at Texas Southern, my first year, we won 24 games. We beat Texas A&M, Baylor, and Oregon. This year, we won 15 of our last 17, and we were SWAC tournament champions. You know, so for me, um, what I'm about is being in programs, and at the end of the day, you know, the what I feel is success is is playing in the NCAA tournament, and I think when you've done it, I just I just feel like 
I don't think the average person understands how hard it is, how much adversity you go through um, to be a champion, especially when you're expected to be the champion. You know, when you're, when, you know, and then the other thing is when you are a regular season champion and when and you win the tournament championship, that should be, that should be rewarded as well. Problem you're, is just you don't go out on your own terms. Yeah, you're right. In 2012, 2013, did you just season to regroup or were you not able to coach because of the, the buyout? No, you know what? Um, man, that's a good question. I mean, certainly you, you, you look, but I, I think what ends up happening is you, you take that year to regroup and assess, you know, you, you, tr- I, I have a notebook, uh, that I keep it's in my office in Houston and it's what I learned from winter, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you know, and I use it for other things as well. But yeah, I think it was time to to regroup, try to figure out, you know, if I would could do it again, what would I would do differently? Um, you know, when, when when you when you get fired, you know, first of all, if you stay in this business long enough, you'll get blood on you. You know, I firmly believe that. But what it does to your, to you and your family when you go through that, I, I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, on anybody, you know, um, I, I just wouldn't, um, I've been through it, you know, my, you know, my daughter was at school when she found out that, you know, I wasn't going to be retained. And that's how she found out, you know, that's tough. You know, we were, we were in that community um, you know, had a lot of really good friends. Um, so, you know, to this day, I, I, I think about it, you know, all the time. It's, it's my, it's, it, it's what drives me, uh, to, to be successful. And the bottom line is you got to win the bottom line. Now for me, I've been in in the last three programs that I've been in, you know, I'm with Coach Jones right now, Johnny Jones, who's a great guy, former head coach at LSU. The level of expectation at Texas Southern is playing in the NCAA tournament, same as it was went through. So, uh, but yeah, that was that was tough, David. I that was that was tough. Um, you know, I know I like Scott Cherry. I talked with Scott some. You know, I I, I talked with. Bart every now and then, but it's a, it's a tough deal. You mentioned you go to Georgia Southern, you're there under Mark Bennington. Uh, then you work under Dana Ford, who actually worked under you. Um, yeah. Yeah. T- yeah. Talk about those experiences. And if you felt that being a head coach multiple times had made you a better assistant coach. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I don't think there's any doubt about it because when you're a head coach and then you become to be assistant, I just think the picture is clear. Um, I think, listen, one of the things you have to do as a head coach is if you try to fight every battle, you're going to lose the war. 
So when you're a head coach, you got to know what battles to fight and which battles not to fight. Um, I also think that I think an area that that it helps is, you know, and I learned this, I learned this really from Winthrop uh, and, and with Dana, but this business is about relationships with people. Like it, it truly is. It's not, I'm an X's and I love the X's and O's, but it, the, these guys are not an X or not an O. It's about relationships. And so for example, uh, I've learned how valuable a relationship is between an assistant coach and, a, and players. Like your assistant coaches have to have great, great, great relationships. You have to have sweat equity with the guys in your program. I've also, I've learned with that uh, where I've been helpful. So where I've been helpful as an assistant coach is when my head coach is trying to give a message, how the message is received. Like, like coach, this is what's going on. This is what they're thinking. You know what I mean? Like I, I have a better feel for the guys in our program and I'm able to, you know, give that to my head coach so that he can make the right decisions for his tone, for what he says and how he says it. I think that's huge. I also think that, you know, I think that one of the things that's not talked about a lot is, you know, is putting your staff together. Like that is hard and great staffs to me are egoless. Now, you know, does it happen that way all the time? No, but great staffs are man, like it's great staffs have a chemistry that translates to those players. And so I've been able to help in that regard. I've been able to help I feel with the chemistry of the staff of wherever I've been, where we all get along, you know, it's not, you know, some staffs are, you know, I recruited him or there's, there's inward competition and that's no good. You know, some staffs have uh, what I call independent contractors. Some guys are, they're really, really good, but they can't work well with other people, you know? And so I've seen all that. Um, so I do think in answer to your question, because I'm a step back, my vision is clear. And, you know, maybe because I'm not in the spotlight, I'm just able to give information to my head coach so that he can make a better decision. Um, you know, the other area that I can tell you that I've helped is, you know, like I love the X's and O's. Like my the game preparation is big for me. Like I really prepare hard for an opponent because that's the only thing I know. Uh, but also, like, you know, I think I think some I think you hear a lot of times young coaches come up and you know you get a head coaching job and they're like, well, we're gonna play hard. Well, everybody plays hard that's winning. We're gonna defend. Okay, my, my part of my deal is if you can't coach offense, you're going to get fired. 
It's the bottom line. And I, one of my deals is, 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 you know, that I'm really big on is, you know, your offensive system, you know, your, your offense and defense have to match. And um, so all I'm saying is like, I'm just another voice, you know, when, when you, we get into those discussions, you know, to bounce off of. Coach, you know, I noticed that, um, especially for an HBCU staff, you guys have some diversity. Yep. Others. Um, is that something you think Coach Jones intentionally keeps in mind when, you know, filling positions on his staff or did it just happen to work out that way? I think that um, <clears throat> that's a good question. Um, I think it just happened to, I think it happened to, I do think it happened to work out that way. Um, but I also know that coaches really, um, he's really unique. He's, uh, he's an incredible caring person and truly, um, he is a man that is committed to diversity, you know, uh, and I think it shows when you, you know, when you, when you look at the makeup of our staff and I can get into a deeper dive on that, that I believe um, for sure, but uh, but, but yeah, that pretty much answers the question. Okay. Um, you know, coach, we've come to the segment I call start bench cut. I give you three things. You start one bench one and cut one. Coach, how's it going? It's great. It's great, David. How are you? Doing well. Coach, you want to give yourself a, a brief introduction to our listeners? Well, um, to everybody that's listening or that's going to be viewing this, uh, I've been in it uh, about 38 years. So um, I actually got started in my coaching career when I was 22 years old. I was the athletic director at Portsmouth Catholic High School in Portsmouth, Virginia. Uh, I was the head boys basketball coach, JV girls basketball coach, JV uh, varsity assistant girls, and varsity baseball coach all in one year at AD and also taught five classes. So I did that my first three years. Uh, just, you know, I kind of worked my way up. I was at St. Michael's College in Winooski, Vermont, a division two school. That was my first college coaching position. Uh, I went to UT Martin as an assistant coach in the Gulf South, which was uh, learning experience like you've never seen because you had to win a national championship. And then from there, I went to Campbell University. And then from there, I went to UNC Greensboro. Uh, left there, went to Virginia Tech, uh, went to Georgia Southern, went to Tennessee State. Uh, and now I'm, I'm currently at Texas Southern University. So uh, I didn't get into all the years, but there's a bunch of them. <laughs> Talk about growing up in, uh, in the 757. Oh, man. Uh, 
when I look back on it, I really miss those days now. Like I grew up in a section <clears throat> called it was Bayview slash Ocean View. Uh, just you know, very middle class at best. And then we we moved around, but it was great because um, you know, my influences were guys that like I grew up playing little league baseball. I grew up playing basketball. And so what ended up happening was a lot of my friends <clears throat> went to Holy Trinity, which is a Catholic school. Uh, it's kind of an elementary school. Like I remember growing up with, you know, uh, Bobby Christofax and Jimmy Stevens. They're like you know, two of my best friends. And like, it was different. Now we grew, we grew up on an outdoor court. You know, like we, you know, we, we, we played seasonal sports, but uh, Jimmy Stevens's brother, for example, Bobby Stevens played at Virginia Tech, hit the shot in 1973 to beat Notre Dame in the NIT. And man, uh, you know, I, you know, uh, Bobby Christofak's brother, Wendell played at Old Dominion, went to the Naval Academy. So I, I was just fortunate. The competitive spirit at home is unbelievable. Like, you know, <clears throat> Garth Forsythe was at Norfolk Academy. I coached against him. But then you you got players like you got Allen Iverson from the 757. You know, you got, well, Moses Malone was actually from Petersburg, as you know. But you got Alonzo Mourning. You got J.R. Reed. I mean, you had you had some outstanding athletes come out of that area you know um alan iverson's teammate who played with him at wake forest was from bethel as well so i, I haven't been back in a while but i sure owe a lot to growing up there oh, good stuff coach you know you played at virginia wesleyan and graduated uh 1980 what made virginia wesleyan the right fit for you well, you know, now here's what's funny. I actually played at Lewisburg in, North, in junior college in North Carolina. I played with Eric Maynard's father, George Maynard, 30th pick in the NBA draft uh, after he went to East Carolina. So that part was really good. Um, but basically, I went to Lewisburg uh, for two years, played for Coach Drake, and I'm not avoiding your question, but so the reason I went there, I wanted to start there is because I played at a prep school called Frederick Military. It's no longer in existence. Frederick and Fork Union were two really big prep schools. I played with a top 100 player named Richard Wright. Well, we were playing Lewisburg and Lewisburg came into our cafeteria to eat. And this is during the old days. Now they came in with blazers, a shirt and a tie, uh, very disciplined, very organized. I called my mom. I said, I'm going to Lewisburg next year, you know? And um, so I did that. My, my father ended up passing away when I was at Lewisburg. So I came back home and tried to play for coach Forsythe. played the best to be honest I've ever played. And what was ironic is coach offered me a coaching position. How about that? At, at 20 years old. So I'm 
thinking, oh my gosh, you know? And so now, ironically, I was a gym rat of all gym rats. But ironically, and nobody really knows this anymore, but I, I went with my high school coach to Norfolk Catholic High School in the fall coaching girls basketball. We were a two-time state champion. We won 69 games in a row, and I was the assistant coach. And, and David, we were good like when we would scrimmage, we would we would play the, the ladies at Old Dominion with Nancy Lieberman. I mean, it mm. was like we had Dawn Cullen, Jackie Colby, uh, Jackie Colberry was unbelievable. I then coached the the JV girls. Now you're gonna you're gonna love this story. Now I'm keep in mind I'm a junior in college doing this. So the so our girls won 69 straight. I'm coaching JV girls. We went undefeated. My first practice, I had a fire truck there because I had so many people getting hurt. And I'm sitting back going, oh my God, like maybe I'm overdoing this a minute, you know, but, um, but that's how I got started. And then in the winter, I went to Portsmouth Catholic, which is their biggest rival. There's no love lost. And I coached the JV boys and I was the assistant coach there. And so that's how, when I was 22, uh, I became the, I became the head coach and athletic director. I mean, it's a crazy story, you know, cause my, my point was my father had passed away. And so my mom, bless her heart, you know, I came back home and, uh, it, it ended up being a great experience for me. So you played at Lewisburg, ended up not playing at Virginia Wesleyan. Got I, I did not. And, but, and I, and, and I tried out, played great. I mean, played really well. Coach Forsythe was like a father to me. I mean, um, ironically, I really, we had a fall league, David, and, and it was terrific. Like, I like, I know you never, no one's ever seen me play back then, um, but I just really got after people. My talent was how hard I played. Um, and really, I played very, very well. So ironically, I became involved in everything at the university. Um, ironically, coach called me in and said, you're, you're going to be a coach. Like, you, you, you're going to be a coach, you know. And um, I, had never, I had never really thought about it like that. So it ended up being great because it helped me to, to get into this business. So I, I owe a debt of gratitude to him for sure. Okay. You mentioned, uh, you know, how you got your start coaching high school. You get hired as an assistant coach at St. Michael's College in Vermont. Yeah. Two years there. Talk about that experience. And did you have a prior relationship with him or anyone at the school? I did. I did. And one of the, one of the things that the game has changed. So one of the things during my era that we always recommended to young coaches was <clears throat> I was visible. So I would, I was, I took, basically I grew up around old dominion basketball from when I was probably eight years old. Um, so when I was the, you know, first of all, I grew up around Sonny Allen, you know, like, uh, Paul Webb, 
you know, Oliver Purnell, um, man, like I can, I can go back to games in the seventies at old dominion that people have never heard of, you know, but long story short, Jim Cassiano was an assistant at old dominion. And I took my team to old dominion's team camp. And, and that's how we met. And I got offered a job going to St. Michael's with Jim Cassiano, who is the head coach, but also Tommy Conrad, Tommy and our dear friends as well. Tommy played at Old Dominion and I went, you know, to St. Michael's and that's how I, that's how I broke into the business. How was your first taste of college basketball coaching? Oh man. Um, it was, it was great. Uh, you know, it was like, I was making so many sacrifices, but it was okay. Listen, my first college coaching job, I leave Virginia and go to Vermont. Now, I don't know what a winter coat is. I think it's just a jacket you wear in the winter. You know, so I go to Vermont and they got, you know, wool jackets and, you know, ski jackets. And I'm living in international student housing with uh, two other people. I'm living off of a meal card in the cafeteria, right? That's where I'm eating. I'm making five, $6,000 a year now. It, it, it's... I'm selling ads to our program. That's how I'm making money. And people took me in, but there was a lot I didn't know, but man, like Coach Kaz really helped me grow up. I was able to start recruiting. <laughs> how about that? I was able to start recruiting. So we recruited New York, New Jersey, Boston, Philly. That was a great experience. And then I was able to be on the floor teaching and coaching and, um, but yeah, it was, it was great, David. It was, it was, you know, coach Cavs really, uh, really helped me a lot and gave me a start. And, uh, you know, you talk about going to Vermont, like in Vermont, 32 degrees was warm, you know, in Vermont, you know, um, there was snow on the ground from December 1st till darn near March 1st. I mean, so I, it was a culture change too uh, for me, but, uh, you know, I'm really thankful that I took the necessary steps to, to get to where, you know, I am today. Gotcha. And Tom Hancock brings you to his coaching staff at UT Martin in 85. Yes. There were the Pacers and they were division two. Yes. That experience at UT Martin. Ooh. So you know how you grow as a coach. <laughs> so I'm going to UT Martin, 17 games televised, Division II, 8,000 seat arena. Uh, man, were we talented. Like, <clears throat> so what I'm saying is I was going to a different part of the country. And the Gulf South was like, like, honestly, there were, national champions that were coming out of that league so where that helped me for example was 
like we were a team full of division one players. So for example, you know, we had a, a young man from uh, Mike Meshity. I promise you he's a division one young man. He was from Maryville, Indiana. We had Marcus Glass, who was a walk-on, who ended up being a great player. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is now in that league, you had Jacksonville State. Uh, you had Delta State coached by Ed Murphy. So if you, 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 if you won that league, you were really going to have a chance to be nationally ranked and to compete for a national championship. But here's the difference. You recruited in that league. There were a lot of junior college players, right? <clears throat> and then what you did was you recruited the junior college player that couldn't graduate to go Division One. You know, maybe a guy needed to go to summer school, and instead of needing three hours, he needed six or nine. And Division One schools wouldn't wait on him. That's the guy I had to find. You know. But uh, we were, I mean, we won the league my last year there. We won the regular season. Um, it was the, the difference in athleticism was amazing to me, you know. And so, I, I'm, and then I have to tell you this, because a lot of people don't know this, David, but the athletic director was Ray Mears. Ray Mears was the last guy to beat Adolph Rupp in the old Rupp arena. He was the first guy to beat Adolph Rupp in the new Rupp arena. He's a former head coach at the University of Tennessee. He's the guy that came up with big orange, you know, big orange country. And he's a legend. And so, like, I was, um, I think I was, like, 28 years old. And I would go to the Final Four with him. And he would always he would give me books to read and he would always say to whomsoever much is given much is required for your responsibility is greater. Like he put that in everything. Um, he was unbelievable. We had a picture of Patton in our office <laughs> and his thing was anytime, anywhere, anyhow, bar none. Like his thing, his thing was, we'll play you anywhere, anytime. It doesn't matter. And we're going to be successful no matter what. And, uh, but he was, he was the, as well, he was the ultimate winner, ultimate winner. And uh, looking back on it, I probably, you know, I knew I was living with a legend, but I, but I really was very fortunate. Wow. You know, like so many coaches, um, you know, you took a pay cut to go from D2 to D1. Uh, yes took a job at Campbell. I think a lot of coaches go through that. It's just not publicized on ESPN and, you know, people don't necessarily talk about it. What were the differences you noticed as far as an operational standpoint from D1 to D2? Night and day. Um, <clears throat> the differences were, number one, the amount of people that were on your staff. Back then, it was – we had one full-time assistant when I was division two and that was me. And that was it, you know, uh, recruiting, you really didn't quote unquote, I mean, you did, but you didn't, it wasn't extensive. 
Um, you know, you didn't have the elaborate video systems for scouting. Um, so when I went to Campbell, all of a sudden there's a staff of like four other people with me. Um, the recruiting, like back during those days, the guys, some of the guys coming up today, they have no idea. Like, like I lived on the road, like I lived on the road in 1988. Like I can remember being gone the whole month of July. Like when July 4th hit, I was gone every day until July 31st. I'm talking about 27 straight days on the road. Like you, your body would, you, you, some days you didn't know where you were. You know, you were going, I, I remember driving from Tifton, Georgia to Pittsburgh to Five Star while my counterparts flew. I drove it in an old, we, we had this old police car and I drove, but, uh, but yeah, the staff, for sure, the amount of money that we spent to recruit, to really go out and, you know, you, you have to establish yourself on the road. Uh, for me, I wanted to be back in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, but uh, scouting, we could go out. That was, that was when you could live scout. So the, there were so many more resources that enabled you to grow. And, and I work for Billy Lee, who's an X and an O, X and o genius. He's great. Uh, he, he's, he was really good. How big were the camps at Campbell back then? Oh my God. People have no idea. Like Campbell's camp was legendary. Like you're talking about, well, I'll answer that question. We rented 19 gyms in the county. 19. Uh, I believe we had 22 school buses. I want to say I could be off a couple hundred here, but you're going to get the gist of it. I want to say either 1,300 kids or 1,500 kids. Now, <laughs> yeah, this is insane. So now you're talking about, first of all, Campbell was the first camp. Back during the day, Michael Jordan went to Campbell. James Worthy went to Campbell. Press Maravich coached at Campbell. Yep. So Pete Maravich was an icon. John Wooden went to Campbell's camp. Now, I, I'm not that old, okay? I came in after that. But, like, for example, we would bring in the ACC guys. So we would – and they would come in for a day. Lord knows how much money they were making – but like J.R. Reed would come and I would take J.R. to the different gyms, you know, like five, six different gyms. Jeff Lebo, Chris Corciani, Vinny Del Negro. I mean, it was great. I mean, so I'm, I'm going in and like, I'll tell you, I didn't sleep for three weeks at camp. Like you just did not sleep. You were on the, you were on call 24 seven. But it was great, Dave, because, you know, like I got a chance to, and then the counselor games at night, oh my gosh, you know, like you're, you're talking about this gym, it's not air conditioned, it's a tartan floor, it's the smallest gym in all of America, trust me, like, I don't know, if they, they call it, we called it the Billy Barn after Coach Lee, but it was a 10 point favorite in any game, I can assure you, uh, but yeah, man, 
that was a great because I, like Coach Lee, you know, he was a big North Carolina. So we ran all North Carolina stuff. I mean, we ran Indiana's motion. I mean, it, from a basketball standpoint, he he really helped me to grow a lot. But that camp, I'll tell you, um, like I'll tell you this, and then I'll the one of the best days I ever had. So Vinny Del Negro comes in. Now Vinny's NBA coach. We haven't talked in 30 years. So Vinny comes in. He's the coolest guy. I'm taking around to all these gyms. Now my job is to also I have to entertain these guys. So Vinny and I come in, we go to the driving range in between going to gyms. Okay. We we go to the tennis courts and we play a set of tennis. We're at the driving range. And then that night after camp, we're playing one-on-one. I mean, this is crazy. And then like, he was the coolest guy, you know? Uh, you know, Lebo was great. Um, you know, Jr. Corciani. I mean, I just remember those guys, you know, really Robert Bricky, I think who was at Duke. Oh, you'll love this Christian Leitner. I was Christian Leitner's guy. He was so different. You know, he had this, but Christian Leitner was great. Crazy bright, right? Crazy bright. Uh, so yeah, that was the camp was those days are gone. They'll never be those days anymore. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful uh, to and blessed to be able to have been a part of that. Yeah, I wish I could have been at those camps. Oh my gosh. Everything I hear about them just sounds so awesome. It was. It was. But you don't you know, know they, it. <laughs> I yeah. tell you when you don't, you know, you don't know it. Exactly. So you moved on to UNC Greensboro in 91. Yes. You're being at a different school in the same conference. Yeah, that was tough. That was tough. Um, for, you know, for guys in coaching, you know, so now I'm really trying to make my mark. Um, when I went to UNC Greensboro, I went with Mike DeMint. And Mike DeMint and I played, both played at Lewisburg. He played before me. Now, our college coach was Enid Drake, and Enid Drake, Coach Drake, Coach Drake was the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate disciplinarian. Like, we ran a, a tight ship. But UNC Greensboro had told me they weren't going to be in the Big South. That's why I went, right? And so my first year, you know, we were an independent and I can share that story with you if you want to know, because for young coaches, like there's a lot to learn from that story. I can tell you that. Yeah, go for it. Well, uh, you know, my first year we were an independent. If you've ever been an independent, that's the hardest job in division one bad. I don't care what league you're in. When you're not a member of a league and you're not going to the NCAA tournament, you don't have a chance, really. I've never experienced that. That was difficult. But Mike came in. Now Mike used to work for Coach Krzyzewski at Duke back during the day. And so when I got there, from a work ethic standpoint, I mean, a lot of people, I don't know, talk about me in that regard. But so when I came in with Mike, I will tell you this. We were in the office, and I'm talking June. We were in the office at 8 a.m. 
the earliest, the first 30 days I went home was quarter to one in the morning. I remember that specifically. I remember working out in the weight room at 1 a.m. I remember our first year being in the office Sunday morning. If you wanted to take a break, you know, if you wanted to go to church, you could, but we were, he told me we're going to work seven days a week for the first year. And we may have taken two or three days off. I know we took Christmas day off and Christmas Eve off, but in terms of work ethic, Mike DeMint was unbelievable. Um, we took out the newspaper and every Sunday paper in every major city in North Carolina. Now you might say, why? Well, every Sunday we had the Greensboro paper, the Charlotte paper, the Raleigh paper. And this was, David, this was back where we were looking to see the leading scorers in every area of Charlotte in the Sunday paper. Like I'm talking about going through it. Uh, I'm talking about like, um, I'm talking about the, the, the amount of time, like Mike pushed me, like every time I called, like, first of all, I had to make a copy of every letter that was written to a recruit. So what it was, was we met every day at 8.30 to discuss recruiting. He called me in my first year and he said, we, we have to recruit. I, he said, I, I know you can coach, but I want you to recruit every single day for right now. So my files on kids, every phone call had to be documented. Everyone, every letter had to be copied. Basically, he could see how hard you were working a kid. If the, if the folder was thin, he knew I hadn't done any work. You know, so I'd go on the road and he'd have my folder. He could look at every every conversation, who I talked to, what was said. Well, then we had then we had a, a weekly call list. I did that. We did three handwritten letters. I wrote the topics for the Monday letter, the Wednesday letter, and the Friday letter. So everybody on the staff had to write the people that were on their phone call list. Okay. But Mike, you know, Mike had came up with working with Coach K. And one thing that he taught me, like, I'll kid you not, he pushed me. This is a true story. I left on a, I left and flew to Indianapolis to watch a kid play on Friday night at uh, 10 o'clock. I left Indianapolis and I drove to Iowa. I slept in a, red, a rest stop in Iowa. It's my first time in Iowa. I have no clue where I am. I sleep for a couple hours. I drive to where I'm going. I get a hotel room for two to three hours for $20. I kid you not. I just said, I need to sleep a couple hours. I go watch the kid play. Uh, I then leave and drive back, sleeping in the rest stop going the other way, get back to Indianapolis, fly back to Greensboro and Mike, Mike was calling me at seven o'clock in the morning going on Monday. He goes, where are you? <laughs> I'm like, and he was always pushing me. He, he would say, man, such and such is just crushing you on the road right now. You know, he, Andy, my friend at Asheville, he, he doesn't know this, but he called me, he says, I tell you what, Andy's up. He ain't sleeping. 
keep in mind, I had, I had, keep in mind, I had been all over the world in about a three-day period, and, uh, and but yeah, Mike, Mike, I love Mike. I mean, my point is too when you get a new job, when you walk in, like that first year is really hard. Those first thirty days are going to be thirty days like you've never seen, and maybe longer. I, I remember, and I'll stop here after I say, I remember the night before recruiting started, I left our recruiting meeting at three o'clock in the morning. This is true story. I, I had given Coach Demet my, my updated recruiting list and it wasn't how he didn't wanted it. And he lit into me like a firecracker. So I, I, I got it, I left at three o'clock in the morning and I drove to BC Rensselaer in Indiana. He flew in like after the first couple of days, but I drove and I was in the gym like the next day on about three hours of sleep. So th those were the days, man, like I'm telling you, like those, those it, you know, it, it's not like that anymore. Who else was on the staff back then, and was there much turnover, or did you guys kind of ride it out together? We actually rode it out together because at Greensboro, ironically, it was me, oh, wow, uh, Tyrone Beeman, and Tyrone had played at Tennessee. He was really, man, could he recruit. Like, he could really recruit at a high level. Um, I learned a lot. I learned a whole lot from him. Um, you know, like there's tricks of the trade, <laughs> you know, like, like I learned about find out when you're recruiting a guy from Tyrone, find out who his barber is. Mm -hmm. Yep. So Tyrone would go into the city where he was getting, where he was recruiting and he'd go get his haircut at the barber. And he would always tell me the barber, the barber knows recruiting, you know, uh, but Ty, Tyrone, Tyrone was really good. Um, but yeah, so as Tyrone ended up leaving, going to VCU with Sonny Smith. Uh, I know Steve Snell came in and did a, he's at NC state now, very bright man, basketball guy, uh, the total package. And then Mike, ended up getting the job at SMU <laughs> and it was crazy because I'm on the road recruiting at I think I don't know I remember Mike called me at one o'clock in the morning and I'm on the road driving back and he's like I got offered the job at SMU and he goes, he goes what am I going to do I was like what are you going to do you know like I'm like coach like you know you're you're, you're talking about you know taking a big step but yeah, it, that was a good group with Tyrone. And um, the other guy that was on our staff was Darren Keibel. Darren is now with the FBI. He's our operator. He was, he was great. He was great. You feel pressure to implement your own system when you took over, or did you uh, incorporate some things from the previous head coach? I did. And because – so you got to remember, we were together year one. Year three, we got beat on a tip-in in the championship game, our third year of Division One existence. And Mike got the job. 
So now my first year as a head coach at UNC Greensboro, we win the Big South. We lost to Huggins at Cincinnati by five in Orlando. It was unbelievable. But to answer your question, David, I did run the same system. I tweaked it because we had everybody back. And, and I believed in it. Now, there, there was a philosophically the, the biggest difference. I think Mike was a little bit more of a zone guy. And uh, I really, you know, I, I really dug in defensively man to man. Like that's the teams. If, if you look at, you know, my track record, if you look at defensive field goal percentage, we're everywhere we've been. It's going to be and rebound percentage. It's going to be pretty good, but uh, I felt like that was our best chance to win. I tweaked a couple of things, and I will tell you, we played inside out and we pounded the ball inside. Played with two traditional bigs. Uh, it was different than the way the game is played now. I mean, we were huge, and uh, we were really good. Like we were, we were, we were very talented. How did you find out you were going to be the head coach? Was it a coach and waiting type of situation? And were you asked by the athletic department to retain anybody from the previous staff? If you're in, I, I've been moved up twice. Both have been different. When I was at UNC Greensboro, um, they were interviewing other people. Basically, Mike went to SMU and I stayed. So if you're in that situation, like you, like I'm superstitious. I didn't move my office or anything like that. But at that point, you have to take over. Like you, you have to, uh, you have to be a head coach because you you can't afford to lose players. But you got to take care of those guys. Like you got to finish academically. You got to make sure everybody's connected and on the same page. And so there was a lot of work going that you have to work on the schedule, you know, which was hard. So now what it did do, I was around the AD Nelson Bob every day. So it was like every day was an interview. So for example, I put together, I met with, with Nelson twice. One of them was I gave him my vision for the program. I, I, I'm not much on portfolios. I don't believe that's how you get a job. I don't believe in that stuff. But I went in there and <clears throat> this is what I would say to you. I think every time for me that I have been able to move as a head coach, I always find a theme and I sell that theme always, right? Uh, I, I, you know, from politics, you know, the economy or whatever, right? So here's what my theme was at UNC Greensboro. I went to Nelson. I said, now, listen, you don't know if I'm ready for this job. I said, as an assistant coach, I have two choices. I said, <clears throat> I'm going to do my job. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to be seen, but not heard. And now I had a great reputation there. I knew everybody there, but you got to get the job done. Like do your job, period. And that's what I did. I said, now I can either be that guy. And if I'm that guy, I said to him, and this is what helped. I said to him, 
you don't know if I'm prepared to be a head coach because I'm not hurt. But I said, now, if I'm hurt, if I'm on the other side and I'm always putting my name out there, I'm always making it about me, then you're going to look at me as, a, as, as somebody that's not loyal to who he's working for. Easy decision. I said, so, you know, do what you got to do, but I'm going to be loyal to who I work for. And, uh, and then I went and interviewed, I interviewed off campus. Uh, that was a first, but I know that's how it's done now. Nobody goes to campus really anymore. And, um, you know, it was, man, there, there's, there, there's no preparation. For, the only preparation for being a head coach is the program you've been in who you've learned there's you will take certain things from each person coach you know you mentioned in your first season as a d1 head coach you guys uh won the big south tournament uh 20 win season in 96 yeah how tough was it playing against cincinnati trying to guard danny fortson uh you know bob huggins squad uh, yeah orlando yeah listen uh, <laughs> so you know the beauty of the beauty of of coaching i have to tell you this so my daughter was a little child and my daughter would try to trick me to stay up late she's actually so she would i'd be sitting downstairs watching tape late at night she would come down and she'd say dad can i watch game film i thought man you are getting too good because <laughs> she'd sit in my lab and we'd watch game film so long story short, I'm watching Cincinnati. I can remember it. I can remember it like night and day. All right. So they were they were loaded. Now I'm a man-to-man -man guy. I've played man-to-man -man my whole career. You look at anywhere I've ever coached, that's who we are. And that's a whole nother story because I went and visited with Coach Smith when I was at UNC Greensburg. I learned so much. I still have that folder and I do it every day. Uh, but so I'm watching them. We, we played a zone, a point, we played point zone, right? Which is from North Carolina. It's a matchup zone. So now you're going to, I think you're going to love this, right? So I'm watching them and I'm like, they're going to beat the brakes off of us if we play them man to man. Like we can't match up with Fordson. So I remember, I remember in the 80s watching Villanova beat Georgetown. I was at the game. Oh, wow. A historic game. Well, Villanova zoned Georgetown. And what they, they played a 2-3 zone. And, and we actually did it when I was at Campbell. When the ball would go to the wing, our back line guy would cover it. We took the guard on the ball side elbow and we fronted the post. So I put that in. I hadn't done it the whole year. So basically Fortson was posting, right? I had our six, nine big behind him and I dropped our ball side guard who should be at the elbow. And I had him sit and, po and defend in, fr in front of Fortson. So I double teamed him. I had a guy in front. We held him to 10 and a guy behind him. So this is what we did. On a, on a, 
on a mate, well, it's one or the other. On a miss, you know, we were in point zone. On a made, we were in Fresno. We called it 2-3 Fresno. Played zone for 40 minutes. For 40, I've never done that in my life. It's a five-point game. <laughs> like, Hugs is loving me, and he, we, we developed a relationship. But, uh, man, <laughs> it was crazy. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget, David, so down the stretch, they were pulling away, and I'm like, I don't want to be this first-round game where the 15th seed gets blown out and everybody says, you don't belong. But I knew I couldn't press them because if I pressed them, and, you know, there were some people that gave me some heat, but they really didn't know what I was doing. So listen to this. So I went big. I went 6'9", 6'9", 6'9". And I, I, I put in Bob Knight's triangle offense before, three guys, right? Well, when you run the triangle, you're going to offensive rebound, but what's going to happen is people are going to foul you because you're basically, I mean, it, it, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's like doing a handoff dive in football, you know? So long story short, we cut into the league, cut into it, cut into it. I'm getting the clock stopped by going to the free throw line. I'm doing the same thing, but I'm doing it differently. And shoot, we were one, three away from making that thing really, like we were one, three away that rimmed in and out that that was a one possession game, like honest to goodness. So uh, yeah, that was, that was something. So basically there was two things I never did. And I, I did them in that game. And Hugs had his whole staff watching our practice the day before. And I was so naive, you know, I'm in the arena and, you know, at that time, I, I don't know that you go off site and put your game. So I go into the arena, Hugs has got his entire staff out. Everybody's got notes and my AD came. I was like, so I, I changed my whole practice plan on the fly. I didn't show him any of this. I, I showed him all man-to-man stuff. I ran my man-to-man offense right in front of him. And my assistant came over, I, he said, I said, I said, they can't pick it up in a day. I said, hell, we've been doing it for six months, you know? And so, yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, that was a learning experience for sure. That's funny. You know, you moved on to Virginia Tech. What was that experience like in Blacksburg? Whew, it was great. Uh, now we were, we were in the A-10. Yeah, we went A-10 to, to Big East. And oh, A-10 Big East, okay. So our first year, we were really good. The A-10 was good. The A-10 was good. Guard play was good. Um, bigs were big. They just weren't quite as good as, say, an ACC-level guy. But... I loved my experience. Being a Virginia guy, I loved Virginia Tech. Loved it. Um, beautiful campus. It was a hard sell. Um, I think when you're at Virginia Tech, I think you have to recruit the state of Virginia and North Carolina. You better own those two states as much as you can. So when you ask me what I learned, I learned that when we went to the Big East, you better have pros. So we're in the Big East, and and uh, Syracuse has a guy by the name of Carmelo Anthony. UConn has uh, a lid Calamine, uh, Calamine the, the the point guard, 
um, they had the big fella that played with the Charlotte Bobcats. Okafor. Yeah, they had Okafor. You know, Miami had Rice. You know, St. John's had Glover. And so we go in the first Big East win we get. I actually did the scout. But I sat there and I'm thinking, I turned to Ricky and I said, you, you just don't even need to see me for the next couple months. He goes, what do you mean? I said, coach, I said, the great teams in the Big East, I said, the great teams now, I said, they have three guys that are NBA caliber players. If they're, if they're not NBA, they're close to it. I said, they have, they have McDonald's All-Americans. I said, I'm going through the drive-through at McDonald's. You know what I mean? I said, we, we, I said, there's a step we got to go in recruiting. And uh, so from that standpoint, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, David, this is really huge. There's a lot of people in coaching that work their way up and we all aspire, but recruiting in the big East and recruiting at UNC green there, there is no comparison. There's none. There's none. And, and you better wake up, you know, like guy, you better wake up. Like if you like, for example, if you get a job at Virginia tech in the ACC right now, and you get hired, the first thing to me, you got to do is you got to go, you got to go to the sophomore class and figure out who the best sophomores are in the state of Virginia and get on them right then and now, you know what I mean? Like you have to get on kids earlier and what you have to do is you got to get them to make a decision on the, you have to make a decision on those kids before Duke and North Carolina does. Cause if you go into North Carolina and you try to recruit a North Carolina kid and you try to go toe to toe, as an example with those people, the only way you can beat them is offer them before they do. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but yeah, the recruiting and the, and the key is getting him. It ain't evaluating him. You know, like it's real evaluation sometimes, but the key's different. So, you know, after Virginia Tech, you were out of coaching for a year. How difficult was that for you? And how did you grow as a coach? Wow. Very, it, that was very difficult. Um, you know, anybody that knows me, I, one of the things I make reference to a lot is, when you don't know, you know, what you don't know. All right. And so I was at Virginia Tech. Um, my family was still at Charlotte. My, my wife, she had a really good job. I mean, it was an easy, I mean, it was an easy drive. But when I came back, I thought I'll sit out for a year. But, um, you know, you go through states of depression. I probably went through that. Um, cause that's the first time now at that point that I haven't been coaching and that was really, really difficult. Um, you know, one of the things that I did, I, I felt pressure to, you know, how you say, I'm going to do anything for my family. So I did, I went and sold cars 
for about three months. And uh, I learned so much from that experience. Um, I would advise anybody that's young and coming out of college for a parent, if you want your son to grow up, put him on a car lot because people think you're dishonest, you know? And I mean, like I had to work, like I had to work. It's the first time I've ever had a quote unquote, a job. Like I got in trouble all the time because I've never punched a clock. Like we had an old fashioned clock and they would laugh and they call, everybody call me coach. And I go, I know I forgot to punch my clock. Cause you know, you, you don't worry about time and coaching. You get there, you do your job, you stay as long as you need to. But that was hard. And then um, that was hard. And I can't remember something happened with my health. And I just said, you know what? Um, I started, I, I started in around February or March going to games again, going to events in North Carolina. And I said, you know what? I, I just got to get back in it. And I ended up going back, going to work for Greg Marshall at Winthrop. You know, 2003, you said Coach Marshall hires you. Did you two know each other uh, prior or did he just know your reputation? Uh, talk about how you landed there. Yeah, we, we did know each other. Um, we knew each other from, you know, before me, Greg was at Belmont Abbey and he was at the College of Charleston with Coach Cress and they were really good. So I knew Greg from being on the road. I knew what kind of job he had done, but also, you know, being a Virginia guy yourself, um, there's certain buzzwords, right, in Virginia. And one of those buzzwords is Randolph-Macon. Yep. Okay. Another buzzword is Hal Nunley, all right, who was the head coach. Well, Greg played for Coach Nunley at Randolph-Macon. When I was a high school coach at Portsmouth Catholic, I would, I would, first of all, I would work Randolph Macon's camps every summer with Coach Nunley. Coach Nunley was old school and uh, man. So I always, I, I respected Greg because he played for Coach Nunley at Randolph Macon. And I, so the way it worked was I went and worked camp. He called me on a Sunday and said, Hey, I, I just lost a guy. Would you mind coming over here and working camp? And at that time, Barkley had gotten the job at Queens and I went over there on a, on a um, Monday and I worked camp and he offered me a job on Friday and I took a serious pay cut. I mean, this is nowhere near what it is today, but like I went to winter for $30,000 and, at the time I was making, you know, Virginia Tech got complicated, but at Virginia Tech I was making probably 75 or 80 at the time. So, but yeah, yeah, I went to work for Greg and, you know, Greg was, Greg did a phenomenal job. He really did. We'll Nike, see. Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, Bojangles and then Raising Cane. But okay. Popeyes in there, I go Popeyes. Number one. Last one, Coach. Uh, hoop dirt, verbal commits, NCAA transfer portal. Oh my God. Uh, 
NCAA transfer portal, verbal commits, hoop dirt. Okay. Players. Coach, who are three guests I should have on the podcast? Oh, my gosh. Under Armour, Adidas, and Nike, because that's where I've been in my order the last couple of years. Okay. Terrell Martin, Reggie Williams, Arizona Reed. Ooh. Oh, okay. I see how we're playing this one. All right. So, okay. Okay. So I'm going to go starter, Terrell Martin. Okay. What's the second one? Uh, Reggie Williams. I'm going to go Reggie Williams second, AZ Reed third. Okay. Okay. Loyalty. And they're all good players. All good players. Uh, cookout, Bojangles, Raising Canes. You forgot to put Popeyes. Now, if you put Popeyes in there, that would change some things. But I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Uh, cookout, Johnny Jones, uh, Dana Ford, Mark Bynington, Greg Marshall. How about that? Okay. All okay. guys. How about that? That's a pretty good answer. Yeah, that's great. Have you been in touch with Greg recently? How's he doing? I, I have not. Um, I I have not. I'm trying to. Th- I don't. You know. I don't know. I tried to reach out to him a while back, um, but yeah, I haven't had a chance to talk to him. I think he's just trying to, you know, figure some things out. So, but I have no doubt he'll be back. Coach, what advice do you have for aspiring coaches, and then coaches who have been let go? and want to get back into it, whether it's become an assistant, be a head coach again. Talk about that. Here's what I would say is I would answer that by the first thing that you have to do as an aspiring coach is visibility. Like you, you have to absolutely be as visible as you can. Uh, what I mean by that is like, if there's something going on in your area related to basketball, you, you better be at it. You know, if there's a tournament, uh, if there's games, you know, during the week, you better be seen and be as visible as much as you can. If there's a camp, you need to be at it. If there's a skill development session, you need to be at it. If there is a division one program in your community or within driving distance, you need to be at it and you need to work camps as much as you can so that you can develop your, uh, you know, your database, so to speak, or your contacts. But I think visibility is huge, huge, huge. Um, when I was out of it and I was trying to get back in it, I had to be more visible so that people saw me so that my face and name was out there. That's huge. I think the second thing is, well, I think the number one thing, I need to back up a second. The number one thing is for anybody aspiring to, to, to get into this business, the number one thing is, is loyalty. Like there's a difference, you know, like it's not about you. Okay. Your number one 
responsibility is to is to make your head coach's job easier. I think that's huge. I think uh, I think everybody's law. It's like Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched, right? Well, when I look about loyalty and I talk about this hiring a staff, like I want to know, is this guy loyal? And the, the answer to me is, how does he respond when adversity hits? Like, like, is he somebody that I can trust? You know what I mean? And so I think the other thing that I would tell you is, and this is huge, David, this is huge. If you want to get places in this business, the biggest thing I can tell you as well, um, it's not the same as loyalty. It's a, it's a head of visibility. It's, a, it's being available. All right. Like how available are you? Like if you're in a program and you want to advance, be the most available guy, be the first one in, be the, be the, the last one to leave the office because head coaches, a lot of times we're, you, we're, you're looking for people to get things done. And the bottom line is if you're the most available guy on that staff, when that head coach is looking to get something done and you're available and you're given that responsibility and you get it done, that's huge. That's huge. Okay. Um, you know, I think, <clears throat> I think another thing, you know, is you got to find your niche, right? And like, and what I mean by that is um, to somebody who's a young, aspiring coach, what I mean by that is this, where basketball has changed tremendously from when I first got into it is, is video and graphics. Like, like every staff has somebody on their staff that's doing graphics, right? And slash what I'm saying is social media. All right. Like how, like if you look at like, you know, we have a presence on social media at Texas Southern, you know, uh, Coach Musselman has a presence at Arkansas. Buzz Williams has a presence. It's not for everybody, but I don't mean it like that. But what I do mean is, uh, I think you have to have a presence, but I think if you have zero presence on social media, you know what I mean? I think, I don't think that's a good thing. I'll put it to you like that. I think if you're an aspiring coach, how good are you with synergy? You know, how good are you with video equipment? You know, like when you're preparing a scouting report, Oh my God, there's so much time and energy goes into it. Well, do you know how to set all that stuff up? You know what I mean? When we do the presentation to the players and we do the graphics for each individual player, you know, when we do, then you got to do the headings for transition offense. Do you know how to help organize? Like there's a lot of guys that get into the business because they have that ability. Now the key is, you, at the end of the day, you better be able to get players and you better be able to do it on the floor or else you're not going to move up. You're not going to, you know, you, you know what I mean? And so um, I know that's across the board. For me, I wanted to be like, I love the game and I really take so much pride 
and investing in the lives of the kids in our program and trying to do everything I can to make them better, uh, but also make sure that I know what's really, really going on in their lives. Um, you have, like, you have to have sweat equity with your players, man. Like, you got to be out there with them. You know, you have to know, you know, how many brothers and sisters, you have to know if there's things going on at home. You know, you have to know their relationship with their girlfriend. I mean, you but you have to be so bought in to what's going on in that young man's life because it helps you, I think, with your relationship with them. You know, for somebody that's been out of it, I think that was the other part, right? Yes, sir. For somebody that's been out of it, uh, the two things that I, I would say is like networking organization. Now, here's what I mean. I would take a calendar, a monthly calendar, and I would set up my networking organizational plan. Like if I'm out of it and I have a group of contacts that I've known in the industry for a long time, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, on my calendar, I'm going to have everything set up of when I'm going to contact them and then when I'm going to follow up. Like it might be, you know, today is what? Today's the 5th, I mean, the 11th of May. So I might be, you know, call David Kaplan May 11th. Okay, then I go down to May 18th, follow up with David Kaplan again. Like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set that plan in action. Now, where I'm going to start that plan, David, is who are my guys? Who's, who's in my network? of people that I have been in this business with that I have that that I have a relationship with and I'm going to make sure I cultivate those guys because that's how you get back in the business is word of mouth you know somebody calls you and said David something there's a there's a position open at such and such man that'd be a good that'd, that'd be something that would be a good fit for you so I think I think your networking organization um and then I think again, you know, being visible, you know, when you're out of the business, you're hurt. You know, you, you, you feel, you know, sometimes you've, you're not in a good place mentally and truth be told, man, you gotta just, you know, pull up your bootstraps and you gotta get back out there and you, you have to, you can't let people forget about you. If you let people forget about you, you know, you're not going to get back in. You're not, you know, so, and I, I've been there. And what I would say with people that are out of it, like, like, it's just like during the pandemic, you got to get up, you got to get a shower, you got to get dressed, you know, you got to make up your bed. Like, you know, how we talk about, like, you got to do that and you got to go to work as if, you know, like a normal work day. Um, but I, I think you gotta, I think you, I think you gotta approach it like that. Um, and I, you know, for me, like one of the things I'm doing right now is I also try to study different programs. Like right now, like last week I studied two different programs offensively. I just wanted to see what they were doing. You know, I've got on my things to do list two calls to make so that so that 
like where I'm going with it is where I'm going with it is, is this basketball is changing daily. Mm -hmm. And my question is, are you changing with the game? It's a positionless game. It's almost like you have one traditional big, uh, a point guard, and then everybody else is quote unquote positionless. So now how do you coach that way? Can you teach and develop and coach a system, you know, where you can play positionless basketball because that's where the game's going. Now it's already gone. <laughs> Coach, you've given great advice. Your story is amazing. If listeners want to get in touch with you, uh, email, social media, what have you, what's the best way? Yeah, I mean, you know, my email address is randall.peel at tsu.edu. Um, listen, anybody can call me. My, my number is 615-924-1714. Uh, you can follow me on, uh, I had two people reach out last night. Uh, you can follow me, you know, on Twitter with, at Randy Peel. Um, you know, I'm also like, I'm going to watch, you know, a zoom later tonight, let's grow, you know, so I, I try to be on as many of those as I can just to listen and hear other people. But listen, I, I love the industry that we're in. It's a great business. It's a tough business. And, um, you know, anything that I can do you know, I'll be willing to do. I mean, I work for a guy right now that, that is absolutely incredible. Uh, he's he's a star. And uh, that a key is being around good people too. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.